Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I am Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be your host for this film and entertainment industry podcast. I want to start today by sharing the news that this podcast is now available on Spotify, the Sidekick Critic Podcast. So if you have been unable to catch full episodes because you're not really on YouTube very much, well, now you can catch them on the go with Spotify. Additionally, make sure you follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Sidekick Critic, one word. Uh, I'm going to be posting stories there, reels, clips from episodes, whatever it is. That's where you can keep up to date with my feed. And that's kind of the housekeeping stuff I have to go over today. So I'm going to dive right in. Uh, last Thursday on premiere night, I went and saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, I'm a longtime Marvel fan, huge Marvel fan. Uh, it's kind of what really launched my interest into film. The amount of times I was going to theaters to catch Marvel movies. And it just snowballed from there. So before I get into the most recent release, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'm going to kind of break down the MCU and where it's at currently. Uh, obviously, the big question for a lot of people that aren't as in tune with Marvel as I am is... The Disney Plus shows. What do you need to watch? What do you not need to watch? Are they good? So if you're really out of date on Marvel, I'm going to go back a little bit and kind of get you up to date on what you should and shouldn't watch or need to watch. Uh, to start, uh, the first Disney Plus Marvel show was WandaVision. Um, that show is vital, in my opinion, to watching and understanding Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I really liked WandaVision. The first couple episodes were a little bit slow, but then it really picked up and it got really good. And the show is a lot better after the fact, after the events of Doctor Strange. So highly recommend if you haven't seen Doctor Strange yet, watch WandaVision first. Additionally, Disney Plus put out an animated show, What If? Uh, it is not necessary at all, but I think that adds to the story of Doctor Strange a little bit. So... I would recommend watching What If and WandaVision before you go into Doctor Strange. If you have not seen it, if you have seen Doctor Strange and you were a little confused on how things were where they were, it's possible because you didn't watch WandaVision, you're a little confused on that. So WandaVision, I think, is worth a watch. What If, if you're not a fan of animated shows, I know a lot of people aren't, I'd say you could probably skip it, but it does have an interesting story of essentially What If in the Marvel Universe. What if Steve Rogers died, Captain America? What if Iron Man was saved before he became Iron Man and all things like that? So it's worth checking out, in my opinion. Uh, from there, uh, released at the end of last year was Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Um, there were no direct tie-ins that if you didn't watch the Disney Plus show, you'd be really lost in Black Panther. Um there's one character played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus who uh, you would have just taken them as a new character, but she does appear in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and in Hawkeye. So if you want a little more background on that character or if you're trying to get caught up on all things Marvel, uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, both good lead-ins to um, Wakanda Forever, in my opinion. Uh, for the release I'm going to be talking about today, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, uh, there's only one show that really has a tie-in in any way, and it's Loki. Uh, Loki immediately follows the events of Avengers Endgame and the time heist, as they call it, and Kang, the big bad guy in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and presumed to be the big bad guy going forward in the next couple phases of Marvel, is in the Loki show. 
So you can get a little more backstory and history on who Kang is. Um, so I would check Loki out in terms of getting ready for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium. My girlfriend had not watched any of the Disney Plus shows and was going to the premiere of this with us. So we sat there and watched Loki in the two, three weeks leading up to Ant-Man and she really enjoyed the show. I think it's one of the best, if not the best, Disney Plus Marvel show to come out to date. Uh, There are three, four, yes, four of these Disney Plus shows that have not tied into any movies yet. Uh, First is Miss Marvel. Now, we know Miss Marvel is going to tie into the Marvel's film, which releases later in this year. I believe it's in November it comes out. Um, So before that comes out, you should watch Miss Marvel. It's very different. It's super lighthearted. It's uh, not really adult like you could expect from Loki and WandaVision, Falcon. Those are all very adult like comic book movie shows. But comic book movie shows, comic book shows. But Miss Marvel is geared to a much younger audience. But it's it's really heartfelt and it is fun. Um, I enjoyed it. It took me a while to watch it, but uh, I was happy I watched it when I did. And that's going to be necessary viewing for when the Marvels comes out in November. Now the other three shows from Disney Plus that have come out that don't really tie into anything yet are She Hulk, which is a uh, just a witty comedy. Um, it was enjoyable, it was fun, I laughed quite a bit at it. Um, there were some cringy moments, as Marvel can be with their humor, but I think it was good overall. Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac, which I think is, in terms of quality, is some of the best work that Marvel has put out. I loved Moon Knight. I was sucked into it from the very first episode. That's one that I watched as it was released in real time, an episode coming out every Wednesday, I think it was. I loved Moon Knight, and it was great. And then the last one, which was kind of a, what do they call it, a Marvel Studios TV special, was Werewolf by Night, which also has not tied into anything yet. And those are, I believe that's all of the MCU Disney Plus shows so far. You have WandaVision, Loki, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, What If, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Moon Knight, Werewolf. I believe that's all of them. Um, Moon Knight and Loki are... The ones in terms of quality, I say, are must-watch. You should watch those. They're very enjoyable, very good stories. Two of my favorite shows to come out in the past couple of years, I'd say. Um, and that's kind of where, as of right now, the Disney Plus shows tie into the MCU as a whole. Uh, they have a lot more shows coming out within this next year that it's the MCU is getting really big. There have been reports lately of higher-ups, Kevin Feige, saying that they're looking to scale back a little bit as... That's in two years, that was what, eight shows they did, and I think they have another six coming out, or supposed to come out this year, so it's almost too much at times. So they're going to scale back and really give their current characters time to breathe, where the last two, three years they've introduced a bunch of new characters to everyone, so now they're going to slow down, which I think is a good thing for Marvel. Uh, They kind of went the uh, quantity over quality route the last couple years, and there's execs who have said they're looking to shift to go back to quality over quantity. That being said, there is a large number of MCU stuff coming out this year after Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, the next, presume I presume the next release is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, James Gunn is returning to direct. It'll be his last 
Marvel project. Uh, you have Chris Pratt coming back, Zoe Saldana, uh, Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket, Vin Diesel voicing Groot. Um, it's that's going to be a fantastic movie. It's I'm very excited for the final installment of Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't believe any. I did miss one Disney Plus TV show special. It was the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Uh, not of any real consequence, just lighthearted and fun, so worth checking out. But um, I don't think it's mandatory viewing prior to Guardians Volume 3, and I'm super excited for Volume 3 of this movie. I think it's going to be great. Um, three Disney Plus shows that I think are going to release sometime, I want to say, before November, probably in the next couple months, if I had to guess. Um, first up will be Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion is going to tie directly into the Marvels, as did Miss Marvel and WandaVision. Uh, it's centered around Nick Fury and the Scrolls. I think that show is going to be incredible. Um, Samuel L. Jackson getting numerous episodes to run with Nick Fury and really get a story from him. I'm very excited to see what that means for the MCU at large. Um, what if season two will be coming out? I love the first one because I think it's interesting to talk about these stories that could have been and how and some and the I think it's Stephen Hawking saying there's an infinite number of parallel universes sometimes things are different and it's interesting to consider what those stories might entail and a bigger picture of how they're all related so I am really excited for what if season two and then the one I'm most looking forward to probably my most anticipated project all year for Marvel is going to be Loki season two uh, Tom Hiddleston returning as Loki Owen Wilson returning as Mobius. Uh, the first season of Loki was incredible. I'm very, very excited for season two to see if we get more Jonathan Majors as Kang, to see what Loki and the TVA get up to. I think it's going to be great. Uh, both those two should, well, the three of them should all release by mid-year. Uh, Secret Invasion What If are still labeled as early in 2023. Loki is labeled as mid-2023. If I had to guess, we'll probably see Loki in July. Secret Invasion, I'd probably say in April, uh, depending how many episodes it is, right before Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that'll come up to kind of keep Marvel fresh in your mind. What if sometime after Guardians? Uh, as I mentioned, in November, the last MCU movie of the year is going to be the Marvels. Um, about Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel... I think it's going to be great. I Captain Marvel was admittedly not my favorite MCU movie, but not through any fault of its own, just through I think there are other better movies. So I'm excited to see what uh, they do for the sequel. Um, Marvel usually steps their game up on the second movie. The stakes get a little bit bigger, so I think the Marvels will be really good. And then last, there are three shows that are labeled just for the end or late 2023, that are all direct tie-ins to other movies and shows. First, you have Ironheart, uh, which is tying into um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I believe it's going to be following the events of Black Panther. Then you have Echo, which is kind of the first show-to-show tie-in for uh, these in this Disney Plus area, where Echo directly relates to Hawkeye and the events that occur in Hawkeye. And then you have Agatha, starring Catherine Hahn as Agatha. She starred in WandaVision, of course, and she was fantastic. 
character was so loved, I think the movement for that character spawned this show. So I, I really do believe that those three shows, Ironheart, Echo, and Agatha, are going to be some of the last you see on Disney+, Plus, and it's really going to slow down after that. I think next year we maybe get one or two shows with the same three movies that they've been doing for years now, but there's a lot coming out for Marvel. It's This is going to be a busy year as there's Ant-Man is released now, but it's three movies and six shows in a year. It's a lot of Marvel content, and it's hard for a lot of people to keep up. I'm a huge fan of Marvel, so I make an effort to keep up. But if you're not like me, I know tons of people who always like the movies, and they've fallen off. So that's kind of my recap on where the MCU is to date and where we're looking with it going forward. Um, I hope you catch up. I'm always going to talk Marvel. It's one of my passions. I love it. So every time there's a release, I'm going to probably do an episode like this where I look at the MCU as a whole or rank my favorite movies or talk about the shows, whatever it may be. Um, always going to talk Marvel. So, And like I said, that's kind of where it lies right now and what to expect going forward. So the second half of this episode, we're going to dive into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, as I said, I saw it on premiere night, saw it in Dolby, it was a packed house, so I'm really looking forward to talking about that movie with you. Okay, so as mentioned, I'm here today to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanian. Uh, I'm switching up the order a little bit, uh, I'm going to start with my one minute review. So without further ado, here's the one minute review for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. This, I went into this movie with really high expectations, and I was slightly let down. Um, something about the movie just wasn't what I wanted it to be. I felt they had a ton of great ideas. Uh, I really liked the stories and plots they started throughout the movie. It just felt like they didn't have enough time to finish all their ideas. And kind of the issue of the MCU at large is they have too many ideas, and they're not fleshing out the good ones. They're just running with all of them. So a little bit of a disappointment. That said, I did really enjoy the movie. I had a fun time in the theater. I think it's very much worth seeing in theaters, but it's it's not in my top three since Endgame. And uh, this new phase of MCU, it's further down the list. It's not at the bottom. It's not at the top. It kind of falls in the middle there, and that's okay. Not everything is going to be the greatest, and overall, I'd say it's probably like a 7.2 out of 10. And that's my one-minute review for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Like I said, I switched the order on things a bit. So now I'm going to go into rolling the red carpet where I'm going to look at the cast and crew for the film. Uh, it's directed by Peyton Reed. He's returning to finish out his trilogy of the Ant-Man films. Uh, he did both the previous ones, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, he also directed some comedy classics, The Breakup and Yes Man, two movies I love that I think are great. And I can see why Ant-Man some of the funnier movies in the MCU because he's a great comedic director. Uh, the writer for the movie is Jeff Loveness. He's probably not known for but his biggest credit is he's written hundreds of episodes or been a writer on hundreds of episodes for jimmy kimmel live so again that humor coming into play and i feel obligated to mention the creator of ant-man is jack kirby uh he was his name is right there up 
right up there in the pantheon of comic books with Stan Lee. Uh, a lot of these characters are created by Jack Kirby himself, and when many assume it's Stan Lee, but Jack does deserve recognition for what he's done. As for the cast of this film, uh, a few names everyone's going to know and recognize. Uh, first up, Paul Rudd. Uh, I believe his last year was awarded Sexiest Man Alive. He was in both Ant-Man movies and countless comedies I've loved. I Love You Man, Dinner for Schmucks, Anchorman, Role Models. Paul Rudd's hilarious. He's got that comedic bone in his body and is a great actor. And it's they talked about the reconnaissance a few years ago. It's almost a Paul Rudd uh, type thing where he's just been on a roll. Everything he's been doing has been hitting and I'm, I love Paul Rudd. So I'll always watch the Ant-Man movies and I'm excited to see him play Scott Lang again in the future. Um, alongside him, the other star of the movie, so to say is Evangeline Lilly. Uh, many people know her from lost as lost as Kate. Uh, she was also in the second and third Hobbit films, uh, reprising her role as Hope Van Dyne, uh, She's pretty good. I'd like to see more of her in the MCU. It feels sometimes she's kind of shifted aside a little bit, but I do think uh, she brings to life an interesting character in Hope Van Dyne. The third real star of this movie that you need to talk about is Jonathan Majors. Uh, He's going to be a major focus in the MCU going forward, playing the role of Kang. The next Avenger movie, which is either the end of next year or early the year after that, is... uh, Avengers the Kang Dynasty, and Jonathan Majors is Kang, and he's fantastic. He was amazing in Loki. Um, very much looking forward to Creed 3, which comes out next month with him in it. Uh, Jonathan Majors is going to be a really big name in the film industry going forward. You're going to see a lot, a lot more of him, and I'm ecstatic about it. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, a couple old-timing, old-timer stars in this film reprising their roles. Uh, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym and Michelle Pfeiffer as Hope Janet Van Dyne, uh, both incredible all-time classic actors. Uh, not much more needs to be said about them. I'm sure you recognize Michael Douglas. I'm sure you recognize Michelle Pfeiffer. If not from looks from the Bruno Mars, words are hard. Uh, from the Bruno Mars song. Um, but the two of them reprising their roles, they're great. They bring this classicness to the film that is well needed. Uh, a change in the casting that first happened in Endgame and has been run with for this movie is Catherine Newton playing Cassie. Uh, Scott Lang's daughter, Cassie, is grown up now. Uh, I believe she's 16 or 17 in the movie, and she's playing Cassie Lang. You may know her from Big Little Lies, which she was in 14 episodes of on HBO, or Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Um, So it was exciting to get a new face in the MCU. And it's very rare that a role is recast. They had to for this to make the age work within the timeline, and I thoroughly enjoyed Catherine Newton's work in the movie. Uh, And finally, uh, reprising their role, or reprising, kind of reprising the role, of Modoc is Corey Stoll. Uh, I love Corey. He's in House of Cards, the first Ant-Man film as... I cannot remember his name right now. Uh, he's in the first Ant-Man film. He was the antagonist in the first Ant-Man film. He's in Midnight in Paris, like I said, House of Cards. So it's great to get more Corey Stoll in this film and a very comedic role that I'm excited for everyone to see. And 
that's the red carpet. That's the cast and the couple crew members I want to point out here. Um, they all work really well together. You can tell it's a tight-knit cast and crew. It's noticeable in the film, the chemistry they all have together. After rolling the red carpet, I'm going into ticket sellers. The biggest ticket seller for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, is it's an MCU film. It's You have thousands of people who are going to go catch this movie solely because it's Marvel. It's their latest release, and that's okay. It's probably going to be a success because it just has that Marvel Studios attachment to it, and that's to be expected. Uh, Paul Rudd's also a big reason selling tickets. Uh, people are obsessed with Paul Rudd, and... Outside of it just being an MCU film, because people are starting to wait for those at home now, I think the comedic value of the previous two Ant-Man films will help propel this to a box office success. It's those are some those are probably two of the three funniest MCU films. So a lot of people like that comedy. They like a little bit of a less serious MCU movie. So they'll go catch this in the theaters and wait until Black Panther was released at home as it was at the beginning of the month. Um, as far as flops for the movie go, uh, there's one real big concern that I kind of touched on at the top of this episode of uh, MCU fatigue. They're doing a lot of work. They've put out not eight shows, two specials, and I think this is now the fifth or sixth movie in the last two years. So... That's a lot of Marvel, and people are kind of getting tired of it. So you're going to have to contend with some people won't go see the movie because of they're just tired of Marvel. And that is what it is. That's going to be what it is. You can't change that. The movie's not going to flop, though. It's still going to be a success because it is Marvel. It'll take a long time and a lot of near failures before a Marvel movie truly is a box office flop. Um Speaking of the box office, we're going to look by the numbers for a second here. Um, the biggest thing to look at by the numbers, of course, to start is the budget. Around $200 million budget for this movie. Uh, Marvel is one of those companies, and Disney specifically, that has these ballooned budgets that are much bigger. Was it just Knock at the Cabin that I was talking about had a $20 million budget? So this is 10 times that. There's a ton of CGI and visual effects in these movies. You have these huge A-list actors, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Jonathan Majors, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, who are going to eat up a lot of that budget. Disney and Marvel is a marketing machine that is going to add on to the budget. So like I've talked about in the past, you are looking into that two to three times range for it to be profitable. And it's had a good start. It was President's Day weekend for the release, so it was a three-day weekend, which is always a boost. And saw it do $250 million internationally, $120 million domestically. So it's already crossed that, crossed that threshold of surpassing the budget in terms of box office revenue. Uh, I think there's a chance it's going to slow down and won't have good legs. Uh, the movie is not well rated right now. It's one of the lowest rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes at 48%. I think it's only the second rotten Marvel movie. Uh, The audience score is better, that's an 84%, but those numbers are obviously skewed at the beginning from Marvel fans. Um, I think from a critic's perspective, you're getting a lot of Marvel fatigue on their ratings. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder suffered from that as well, where it was an enjoyable and good movie, but the critics are wanting more and more and more, and they want 
Marvel to do what they want after years of Marvel doing whatever Marvel wanted to do. People are sick of that. They want their thing. They're not trusting in Marvel as much. So you're seeing a lower critic score, but the audience scores are still kind of leveling out. As I said, 120 million domestically this weekend and 250 million internationally. Uh, It's kind of hard to put that in perspective when you're only one weekend in on a movie. So I'm going to compare it to recent Marvel releases. Uh, The most recent, Wakanda Forever, uh, had a domestically did $181 million in its uh, opening weekend. And it did $855 million total box office domestically internationally. So... This opening weekend, Ant-Man was slight $60 million less than that, so I would expect their total run to be less than Wakanda Forever. And then you have Thor Love and Thunder, which did $144 million its opening weekend and finished at $760 uh, total. I, I don't know if Ant-Man's going to reach that. I think the poor critic response to it and the negative press surrounding the release of this movie now solely based on critics, not based on anything else of the movie is going to hurt its legs at the back box office. I don't think it'll catch up to Thor Love and Thunder. What's maybe more apt comparison is the last Ant-Man film. The Ant-Man and the Wasp, which did follow Avengers Infinity War, did $75.8 million its opening weekend, and it ended its total run at $623 million. I'll keep you updated on it, but I think it'll be really interesting to track to see will this surpass Ant-Man and the Wasp. That movie had great legs and great hype because it was immediately following Avengers Infinity War. This doesn't have that. This doesn't have a great critical response. It doesn't have the MCU hype train surrounding it and pushing people to go to the theaters as they were getting caught up and realizing I need to know what's next after the events of Infinity War. So... I'm very curious to see if this catches Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I personally, I don't think it will. I, I think it's going to fall short. I think it'll probably finish around $500 million total box office domestically and internationally, and that's still a success. That's two and a quarter times the $200 million budget, which is okay, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes from there. And that's our spoiler-free portion, the first half of our review for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wasp Quantumania. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Now it's time to go into my in-depth review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, First, I'm going to start, as I usually do, with the uh, kind of a plot recap. Essentially, Scott Lang's out living his life as an Avenger now. That's known. Uh, He's written a book, Look Out for the Little Guy, and he's just living a good life. He's happy being an Avenger. Um... His daughter Cassie was just arrested for uh, helping a protest and shrinking a cop car. So there's a little drama building there. And as he's at uh, Hank Pym's house with Cassie, Janet, Hope, Hank, Scott, um, he learns she's been working with them. Sounds like she might have a suit. Uh, Sounds like they've been sending signals into the quantum realm and Janet's not pleased and she tells them to shut it off and as they do something sucks all of them into the quantum realm and from there the movie really kind of gets really what's the word jarbled feels like the best word it's kind of all over the place there's multiple different plot points going on as the group is split up and each time you get into one it cuts back to the other one which it's it's kind of a tough look for me they should have kept some of these stories going for a longer amount of time 
within them. Uh, a bunch of things unfold within the quantum realm. Eventually, they meet Kang the Conqueror, who does know Janet Van Dyne from her time in the quantum realm, and he's looking to use them and use her to get out of the quantum realm and finish his conquering of timelines and the multiverse. And all these events unfold, and eventually it gets down to it where they stop Kang from leaving the quantum realm, they find a way to get themselves out, and just as Scout's about to be the last one out, Kang pulls him back. And there's this great fight between them, very great choreography, it feels heavy-hitting, and somehow, and it doesn't make sense to me, Scott wins the fight, and with the hope, the help of Hope, the Wasp, and they leave and go home, and Scott's going back to his life, though he has a slight anxiety attack here and there about did they do the right thing defeating Kang, um, and that's a very basic plot recap, because I want to talk more about the movie and less about the plot-specific story, um, like I said, I went into this with very high expectations, mainly because of Jonathan Majors as Kang. Uh, Kang is supposed to be this very ominous villain and big bad guy, the future bad guy of the next phase and a half of the MCU, and he did hold up. For about an hour of the movie, when you see Kang, he is incredibly menacing. You can feel his power and it's a great character. Jonathan Majors does amazing work, and he alone elevates the film quite a bit for me. The issue I kind of have is the stakes surrounding it. There's this Star Wars-esque rebellion going on within the quantum realm that kind of lacks heart at times. It, as I said, there are so many good ideas within this movie and things that they should have fleshed out more, but they didn't. So it kind of has leaves a lot of them falling flat to where I wanted more of this story and less of that or they told this whole little story but it felt incomplete because they didn't give it the time and justice it deserved um as I said earlier it has really bad critical rating and I think part of that is that there's so much going on in this film uh I I still think everyone should go see it but it's just the best way to describe it is it kind of lacked heart at times. I think they could have done a lot better. And it also lacked stakes at times. They built these big stakes that felt appropriate and right just for at the very end. Scott Lang, Paul Rudd's character, literally says, I don't have to win, I just need you to lose. And five seconds, not five seconds, but a minute later, there's a Doe Ex Machina of... Uh, Hope coming back through the portal into the quantum realm and helping Scott defeat Kang, who was cutting down armies not 10 minutes earlier. They defeat him and they just leave when it's supposed to be Scott Lang's sacrifice for his family. And it kind of cheapened a little bit that he had what was about to be this great sacrifice and they took it all away. So sometimes that is what it is, but I would have liked to get more of that sacrifice have it have stakes and roll it into a fourth ant-man film of now getting scott back not getting janet van dyne back so overall i i did enjoy the movie i i think my opinion of it here and my review for it is lessened by the high expectations i had um 
as I talked about a knock at the cabin, this movie does have a good bit of a theme of sacrifice to it. Um, initially with Janet's sacrifice where she could have left the quantum realm years earlier, but she discovered who Kang was and that he was a conqueror and not someone accidentally trapped in the quantum realm. And she sacrificed her own way out so that he would be stuck in there with her. And I, I think it would have been a great parallel to and bookend on the movie to start it with her sacrifice and end it with Scott making essentially the same, same sacrifice because Kang is who he is. Of course, didn't go that way. Uh, I, I think one way to look at this is that Scott did still make the sacrifice, not knowing he would get back out, but it it is lessened a little bit just by the it all getting wiped in the end. Uh, looking forward in the MCU, the there is a post credit scene regarding the Council of Kangs, and there's some very weird looking Jonathan Major Kangs, but uh, it, it does show that. You have this one king who was exiled by all the others because he was such a strong conqueror. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of more kings at this council in this meeting in the post credit scene. And it's just like, where is this going to go? Kang Dynasty is nearly upon us. And it'll be very interesting to see how menacing these other kings are. Are they more powerful, less powerful? Where they go from there? Um... And I think that's most of my thoughts. I I personally expect myself to go a lot longer on my in-depth review for this movie, but I, I think the end of it, lessening a lot of the earlier stuff, kind of leaves me not wanting to go further in, de- in, in depth on it. Um, one thing I will bring up, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, Corey Stoll as Madoc. Uh, his giant floating weaponized head uh honestly hilarious uh he has a great little arc in the film uh bringing him back from the first ant-man uh one of the highlights of the movie for sure um and my other highlight of the film uh and i'm gonna transition here into my next segment the sidekick of the flick for ant-man and the wasp quantumania is Catherine newton as cassie uh Catherine Newton is one of the few actors, actresses that is filling a role after a recast. Um, Kind of needed to be done after the time skip. Cassie is five years older, I believe, during the events of this movie. She's 17, I want to say. So it's always difficult to fill a new role, especially one by Cassie, which was beloved in the previous two movies. Um, Catherine Newton did a very good job. She did a great job in this movie, uh, and the role... Of Cassie, she brought to it something interesting that, and she mentions it. Cassie mentions it in the movie that she's had a very difficult life. Um, at eight, she was attacked in her bedroom and nearly killed by uh, Darren Cross, played by Corey Stoll. Um, at ten, her at that time too, her dad was now a superhero, uh, having previously been a convict. Uh, at ten. Her dad was on house arrest for being a superhero and helping Captain America during the events of Civil War. At 11 or 12, uh, her dad, Janet, Hope, Hank all vanish off the face of the Earth along with half the Earth's population during the snap. Um, and it's just a lot of loss and traumatic experiences for Cassie. 
And then, before anyone else, Scott returns from the quantum realm. All of a sudden, her dad is back five years later, and that has to be difficult to deal with. And then everyone else comes back. Your dad helps save the world again. So your dad goes from convict to hero to vigilante, felon, gone, and hero. That's all over the place. So as I said, the towards the beginning of the movie, Cassie's character is shown to be arrested after shrinking a cop car and helping some peaceful protesters. And then her actions get called into question when she's seg- sending a signal down into the quantum realm to communicate with any beings that might be down there. And Janet gets upset that she did it. And Cassie blames herself for them all getting sucked in. I think what's very interesting about the character and specifically through the lens of a sidekick is that sidekicks are often ones to make mistakes. It's not the hero that makes the mistake. It's the sidekick. And in this case, Cassie backs up her mistake. She admits it was her fault, but then she doesn't just let the hero save the day from there. She takes an active hand in righting her wrongs and aiding the rebellion against Kang within the quantum realm, uh, helping Madoc, Darren Cross discover the wrongs in his ways, uh, helping her father, Hope, Hank, and Janet fight against Kang and escape the quantum realm. And that's a something sometimes we don't see from sidekicks in a lot of content is that when they make a mistake, the hero just comes in and saves the day while the sidekick is pushed to the side. In this case, Cassie as the sidekick dons her suit, learns to fight in it, and is right there with the heroes saving the day. And that's very exciting. It's nice to see a sidekick do the right thing, and it's very difficult to back up your talk with actions, and Cassie Lang does a great job of that, and Catherine Newton makes that evident in the character, and she does a great job. I'm really hoping we get a fourth Ant-Man film so that I can see more of Catherine Newton um, as Cassie. I almost am actually hoping we get a Wasp movie. Um The Wasp, Evangeline Lilly, didn't have a lot to do in this film, so I'd love to see her get more to do and to see her work with Cassie specifically. I love Paul Rudd, and I'm always going to want more Paul Rudd in the movie, but let's give the women there their time to shine their own movie and see what they can do with it. Um, And yeah, Catherine Newton, sidekick of the flick for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanium. As I said, 7.2 overall. The movie was enjoyable, but it did let me down a little bit personally as a Marvel fan. Uh, There's some gorgeous visual effects. The Quantum Realm is really cool looking, so I I think it's absolutely worth checking out in theaters. And I think that's going to be... I ran through all my segments. I I think that's everything I have on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium. Uh, It was exciting. It was nice. I love being at premiere night. I love the crowd and the energy. Uh... I am not a movie clapper personally, but there were clappers as there always are in Marvel films, so that's always gets a good laugh out of me. Um, if you aren't a fan of that, I'm sure if you go within the next week or two, you can avoid that entirely, but I really hope you go check this out. I want to see Marvel continue to succeed. Uh, the House of the Mouse, as they call it, I'm always going to go catch their movies, and uh, yeah, so... This movie is going to be on YouTube and Spotify. If you want to watch it or listen to it, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. Uh, 
Next Marvel movie is May, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I'm very excited for. Possibly two shows coming out before then in Secret Invasion and What If. And yeah, so once again, thank you for stopping by. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby. This has been the Sidekick Critic Podcast, and I'll see you next time.